Hey everyone, welcome back to Engines and Idiots, our YouTube channel where we talk about the wide world of cars, automotive sports, and our very own passion projects and builds. I am Mr. SN95, also the owner of Two Classy, our resident 06 CLS 55 AMG. Um, you may have seen me on a couple of the videos on the channel so far. I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to my good friends here, Imad and Shaf, so they can introduce themselves to you. Hey, I'm Imad. Uh you guys might have seen my uh, McLaren 720S build that I'm currently doing. Um, yeah, no, I don't have a car. You're, you're, not, you're do. not doing anything. I'm you got a little Ultima. I got an Ultima, man. That's pretty embarrassing as a car guy just driving around like a shitty 2.5 cylinder, 2.5 liter Ultima. Like, it's, it's depressing. Did you say 2.5 cylinder? You said 2.5 cylinder. Dude, oh, you, you got the half cylinder there, man. You got the half double cylinder. Double embarrassment. You know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking Dude, come on. You don't have half cylinders? I'm a rotary guy. We got half rotors. You know what I mean? No. It's not a thing. I'm kidding. No, I don't but, know what you mean. Yeah, no, I, I'm not really doing anything with cars right now. Uh, I was a part of Engines Idiots way before like we actually started making real content, you know? Uh, <laughs> I used to make content where I would just like, I, I didn't even have a good mic. I just like grab my phone, I put it in front of my face, and I would just talk about like cars. Like, oh, this is a good car to buy. This is a cheap supercar. It, was, it wasn't ever good, but... He was the uh, one that actually made all the cringy best five supercars you can buy videos. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, those are 37,000 views. As far as so. I'm concerned, they're unlisted now. <laughs> you piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I mean, after we got the whole team together, like we've been pumping out really good content now. And I'm really happy with the, like, the pace that we're going at. And I think launching a podcast was a really good step for us. So, yeah. Yeah, this, this should be fun. We finally got around to really the podcast. Fun. I bought this microphone. We bought this microphone 14 ago. months ago. Yeah, 14 months. <laughs> 14 months? You checked? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Shaf, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I was waiting for my turn, which came a little later well, you didn't than raise I anticipated. Your hand. Didn't raise well, your hand, this right? is an audio podcast. I didn't think that that was feasible. I didn't want to yeah. interrupt because yeah. that's rude. But hello, everyone. My name is Shaf, and I am a proud employee office manager of upland automotive at upland auto on instagram and upland automotive mm -hmm. on facebook please follow and like us um like our pictures this isn't youtube um but yeah i also deal used cars at upland automotive i'm in charge of our inventory as well as overseeing just the day-to-day -day operations at upland automotive and assisting in any and all ways i can at an independent automotive repair shop um as far as being a car guy, I never really considered myself a car guy until I started spending the years at Upland Automotive. It is a family business in my father's shop, so my involvement there was kind of like an arranged marriage where I grew to love it, even though I initially was not that crazy about cars. But, you know, here I am. It's fruitful. I'm enjoying it. I'm on a podcast with these two guys trying to educate them on what's happening on the ground, what's happening with the day-to-day -day consumer, what's happening with you, the listener. What's going there, on there in the automotive sphere? He's a people person. I try to be. Yes, I yes, sell yes. used cars for a living. I'm a pariah to most people, man. But anywho, I'm here. You know what I mean. I don't know what you mean unless it's like Neither a sadistic, masochistic way. But, you know, it's okay because it's 2021 and car guys can be into that gay kinky shit. But, hey, here we are. <laughs> nice. Yes. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, boys. Thank pleasure you. It's a pleasure, pleasure for us to all be here after 14 long months of not doing anything. This thing was literally here. collecting dust. It was not <laughs> even kidding. It was collecting dust, and I was I was so pissed at these two because I'm not a I'm not a techie podcast guy, as they know. And like, son was like, "Yeah, bro, you should totally get the Scarlet stuff. It's totally awesome. And we're gonna start doing podcasts." And I like made a space in my room. I like that was seven months ago. Super for sick. Everyone. <laughs> Just wondering. And then the next thing is that I was like, okay, let's what's our next podcast. I'm excited. I've done some research. And they were like, yeah, um, about that school. And now here we are. So it's it's been a long time coming. And I think I can speak on all of our behalfs where we're happy to be here and in front of you. Yeah. Or in front of your ears. Let's get right into. Nothing's about the automotive world. Let's, let's, uh, let's get, let's into get right into this. Yeah, let's get into it. So I, I kind of want to start here. Um, yesterday or day before, I, I happened to have a CLS, so this is of some interest to me. So Mercedes released news of their new 2022 CLS model. 
I had sent this in Instagram to our private chat um, earlier where Iman and I were able to talk a little bit about design language uh, of that car. And one thing I had said was that this is differing a little bit from the C218 that had kind of come out in the mid-2010s. Um, that was a very muscular CLS compared to the W219 that I have, which was a very classy, svelte-looking car. And I felt like this new one that we currently have, the side profile looked similar to the 219. But then then the disappointment set in because I realized they no longer have a 63 AMG model. They had a 53 AMG model, which they're also removing from the lineup. And in 2022, there's no longer a rear-wheel drive version. There's just the all-wheel drive CLS 450, um, which kind of sucks. I mean, like, there's no 53, even though that was, like, a downgrade from the 63. And you basically get a 3-liter inline-six with a hybrid system. I think it makes, like, 360 horsepower. And you have to get the E53 if you still want the AMG variant with 400-ish horsepower. I mean, like, I know inevitably this was coming, but at the same time, like, outside of that side profile, the power, uh, and how, I don't know if you guys chime in, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, like, the A-Class and the CLA-Class. Dude, the look rear like, looks the same. Yeah. Is it, it just yeah, me? They, they look the like baby versions. The <laughs> It's the exact same rear, just pasted on there. And I was like, oh, no, this isn't special. I feel like Mercedes, yeah, they've lost their prestige. This isn't special. It's I mean, the interior is gorgeous. I'm not going to... Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. No doubt. But, but, but so is the CLAs. The CLAs I are really good, too. <laughs> What's so like, doing I mean, over there? <laughs> I feel like the designers are just sitting up in a room they like make the biggest car possible and they just keep chopping inches off like the wheelbase and <laughs> make a new model. <laughs> they just look at the CLA and they're like, what can we change? Yeah, <laughs> you can change... Why do they have an Indian Nothing. accent? Nothing. No, I, I don't know why I did an Indian... They're not Indian. They're German. I don't know, man. I did it. I switched it to German at the end, but in the beginning it was Indian. I'm not going to lie. Nope, you just sounded like an idiot. Yeah, uh, that's what we're called, Inches and Idiots. Hey, damn right. Damn right. Actually, I think we're called Inches and Idiots because we do idiotic things with engines, but I think you're just an idiot. Hey, we can't talk about that shit that we did in Mexico, man. What did what? we do? What? 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 I don't know what you're talking about. By Mexico, do you about, mean man. the movement of manufacturing of American vehicles to Mexico? Yeah, no. that shit we should talk about. That's what we should <laughs> talk about. We need to bring those cars back. You to don't America, know nothing about dude. like the other side of the car community. There's no joke. There's no fun in this then, but it's fine. It's fine. Jokes aside though, like it's pretty depressing to see like what Mercedes is doing with their engines. I I get the sentiment of uh, moving over to EVs or moving over to hybrids at least, but I think and I I do see there being a performance game, and I understand that they wouldn't have do done you this really? as a performance game. Well, speaking really of which, well, I have some other hybrid. news about, like, the, the new C63 AMG is actually losing its V8 in place of the M139 engine, which is found in the ones I mentioned before, the GLA, the A, the CLA. But those make 375 horsepower and 354 foot-pound torque. This new C63 apparently is rumored to not only be longitudinally mounted as opposed to transversely mounted, it also has an electric turbocharger, which helps it make 740 foot-pound of torque. Jesus. As an like inline four that makes 740 foot-pound of torque. Even though the CLS is going hybrid, I understand that there is a performance gain. There's a reason they're doing it. But it's still pretty sad to see the loss of the V8. Like, yeah, yeah, you're going to lose the sound, there? right? The feeling. Who's there doing the V8? It's just Lexus? Lexus, Lexus? yeah. Yeah. Dude, Mercedes Lexus at the is higher end. Now, now they're gone. Like now they're gone. It's just Lexus. I feel like Lexus is really holding America. it down in, in America, terms of yeah, the V8s. I mean, you can't really compare those. <laughs> it really is just Dodge, right? Well, actually, yeah. it's not even Dodge. And like, what happened? Uh, we're kind of late on this, but didn't uh, Stellantis come through and just kind of axe the entire SRT division? Well, right after he uh, made an SRT minivan. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, I, I heard that. I heard they axed the entire. SRT speaking division. of speaking of Lexus. Since we're bringing that up, we're going back over there, other side of the Pacific, to Japan. Toyota, mm -hmm. with that GR86 and the BRZ with Subaru. Dude, I gotta you say. Got anything about that? Dude, alright, you know, as as a JDM guy here, 
I'm excited. I get it's not making much horsepower as like as much as horsepower as it was before, and people are disappointed about that. Yeah, I know it's making a lot of more, right? See. It is making more, but it's not as much as like people wanted. That that uh, let me I rephrase that. Yeah, right. people wanted to see like a 60, 70, 100 horsepower gain. You know, comparable with like a Mustang or something. But I, that's not. I don't think that's the point of the eighty six. The eighty six is more of just a platform to work on, and not just that, but. I don't think it was ever about power. Like, if you see the moves that Toyota's been making in the past, like, if you look at the Z4, the Z4 is a beast. When you look at the Supra, the Supra's also a beast. But if you look at what Toyota did with the Supra, it's different. In every feasible way possible on the track, not including straight lines, the Supra's faster. Toyota's yeah. focused heavily, heavily on steering, suspension, and handling. And rigidity, I think, specifically. I think Toyota has nailed the mark as to what a Purius is looking for in a racing vehicle or, or, or mm. a, a driving machine. Lightweight, solid, well-balanced engine, the offering of a six-speed manual transmission, and rear-wheel drive. What more could exactly. you want? Like, that's... Honestly, look, when you describe it like that, mm-hmm. it just sounds like the perfect car. You know? The perfect car for the average person yeah. to just drive around and, and enjoy and feel like they're a part of something that could be more and that has the potential to be more i don't know i saw I it feel and like i really the GR86 like and everything is like the alternative to the miata if you don't want the miata 100 um, percent agree <laughs> our other 100% friend 100 agree <laughs> uh, moment moment yeah Swole house where's he at <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but no, yeah but i agree uh, no but seriously i, I agree are different and I here's where here's my criticism that. here's my criticism uh, i think you can chime in on this I like the previous generation better, and I used to rip on it all the time, and I take it back. I don't <laughs> feel like, I don't know what happened. It's it's not as bad as like BMW, what they did with the M3 and the M4, oh, yeah. but uh, as far as like, even in terms of differentiation, if you hold the GR86 next to the BRC from the rear end, it's identical. Even the press photos, one was red and one was blue. Like otherwise, if they didn't have the badge on them, I wouldn't have known which came from which. There I, is I, some inspiration in the BRZ from, in my mind at least, I can see the front bumper having similarities to like the MP412C, but otherwise there is a bit. There, the only difference is literally the front bumpers and the badge. There's no other difference. I mean, really, there is. That, like, I mean, they didn't wise, even try. I mean, they didn't try. You know, physically at least. There's and I no feel difference. like the Toyota might be the more fun version. Yeah, it's it making more like power it. too, and it's supposed to have better handling. So, it's Who interesting, knows? interesting with, and I, I mean, I do also have to appreciate that they stepped up from a two liter to a two point four liter in an age where everyone's trying to downsize, even going up, point <laughs> four liters in your displacement, it's still going up. So, and I without adding a turbocharger, it, it's just sad that, like, this is what we're getting. Like, I mean, I'm okay. Wait, no, let me let me rephrase that. It's sad that that Toyota is like the last company to be out there making real track-based, real-wheel drive cars in a, in a price range that people can afford. That's the Toyota's category the one. It's the affordable Toyota's price the only range. Because yeah. you, can, also, you, can, bring up, you can bring up Porsche. Toyota has made like, revolutionary and just great overall cars. The LS in the 90s was a great car, especially in the United States when that got introduced. We have a 99 car. We have a 99 LS 400 that my dad drives. He's not giving up that car. That car's real wheel drive. Ne- never forget the Land V8. Cruiser. I mean, Land come Cruiser, on. Of course. Supra, Supras. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Supra. I, I, I know what they were going for with this iteration of the BRZ and the GR86. Mm-hmm. I just feel like if they're to become the guardians of this like last stretch of uh, enjoying your purest vehicle, I feel like they could have done a little bit more in terms of design even i don't even care about the power i don't feel like it's lacking for what it is i just I, because people will build it up if they want more power oh, i just 100%. feel like design could have been bet- better it could have been more inspirational for a time where design and fashion and food and travel and all this other stuff has wait are you talking about the gr86 or the brz yeah both i both, mean they look like they're the twins right the same car i feel like it, they could have put a little bit more effort into it I feel like it's perfect, honestly. I like the look of the car. Really? I actually showed it to... I, I honestly like the look of the car. It was very simple, and it's sleek. It looks nice. I mean, like you said That's from the bumper. That's a fresh take. I, I think... I like it. It's simple. It's it's all you need. It's all you need. I, I think... 
I, I think there's two there's two camps. There's a camp that likes it a lot. Yeah. Or likes it more, at least. 100%. And then there's other camp, like Eston said, where it's kind of like the Star Wars prequels, where you're like, this isn't good. And then you realize, oh, neither are the new ones, but <laughs> the old ones weren't that bad. I think it's like the Star... I mean, for some people, it's like the Star Wars prequels. For me, I, I, I can see the appeal. I just... I like the old one more. I think Stylized. I can mechanically see the appeal. And, like, while we're oh, on kind of mechanical no. things working, but design, maybe not. So and so, it, it's not on our roster to talk about, but I think we should talk about it. I think we should talk you know about what they're saying, the like, M3 and the, the M4. Streets, haram in the streets, like, it's, it's probably amazing on the track. What? Whether, whether or not I'm a fan of the looks. I... This can be applied to the BMW. <laughs> I agree. I agree. That Actually, M3 I don't know. And the BMW's M4. Like no, no, dude. It, look, I've seen those in person now. Okay, I've I've been able to open the door of one and see inside of it, wow. and they That's have. Special. Yeah, I am. Thank you. <laughs> but they nailed it. It's like yeah. one of the best sports cars interiors I've ever seen. It's driver oriented. The material, the craftsmanship is beautiful. Even from the rear, the car looks, like, sporty. It's special. Mechanically, I haven't driven one. Mechanically, I'm assured that it's probably, like, better than the last generation, which is a really hard feat to top after the special track editions and the California editions and all that came I mean, not the California, sorry. The competition sport packages came out. It's hard to beat. And this whole, like, 85% of the way there kind of package, and then you get to the front of the fucking car, and you're like, jeez, what did they do? Buck teeth. It looks like a beaver. <laughs> it looks like a pig. Like the, like the, the oh my god. <laughs> it's <laughs> ugly. Oh, by the way, I think we are going to be overlaying images here. So no, we're going like, to have to. Yeah, we, we have yeah. to. Yeah, I'll be doing. Yeah. It. Don't worry about that. But yeah, I, uh, every sad. time I've seen one on the road with that grill, I I, I don't know. I, I I actually get disappointed because I feel like. The F80 series that came before was probably one of the best-looking M generations ever. Mm-hmm. And what really irks me is that you go up one iteration to the M5, the new one looks so good. Like, Dude, I love the M8. Like, how could you not apply the same design principles to these very beloved and very popular cars? And that's what I'm getting with, with the GR86 and the BRZ. I like, see that. I feel like they could have looked better if they were going to become the last safeguards of this kind of purist formula. I feel like the look should have matched what the symbolic nature of the vehicle is. But again, I don't think they should be like striving to be that. I think Toyota should strive to make the cars that they feel like. And again, I like think Shaf they accidentally said, fell into He likes that. the way it looks. And if some, if, you know, buyers like the way it not, looks. Yeah. Then like, yeah, yeah. To each his own, right? Shops taste as shit, but that's that's not okay. my problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shit. Okay, Damn. man. I wouldn't uh, call it shit. I'd call it refined. No, I'd call it garbage. I'm a simple man. I'm a simple man. A simple man. I see. Okay. A simple. <laughs> you know, Shop isn't the type of person to get a source card, but yeah. I think if he would, it'd be the '86. You are a you thousand so? percent correct. Yeah, like really? it's if I were thing. to if I were to buy actually if I were to buy a sports car and I've actually thought about this before the GR86 was announced, I kind of wanted the Corvette Stingray. That's exactly what I was going to get at. Cuz I just I feel like it's a perfect flex car and I don't know man, like it's just a sleek car but the GR86 well, bang for a buck, you get the most performance out of that platform anyway. I mean exactly. like no one else is and offering big, that much speed I'm for a the price. Big Chevy guy. I love the Chevy like the trucks. Their SUVs, the Suburban, the Tahoe, the Trailblazer, the new iteration. Well, we of should Blazer. put them in a Corvette. Didn't you the have Corvette. a Silverado at one point, or what? What, what truck did you Fuck have? Fuck yeah, point? man! 2005 Chevy Silverado, black yeah. exterior. Interior was gray. Yeah, yeah. that's I remember that thing. That was that was way back in the day. That was so long ago. I was just, that, I was still learning how to drive at that point, and like that, I remember, that, I was like, I still get confused when I park and how how far away from um, how far away from I am from the curb and parking. And Shaf said, "Just drive until your tires hit the curb." I'm like, dude, I don't have a truck. This isn't this isn't an option for me, man. <laughs> In a seat Camaro. Okay. 
to be fair, shout you out were Nadeem. swerving through traffic. I think just you because just beat the driver of the I car. think I'm just a better driver than Nadim is if Who he's is listening. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. I don't I think, think you beat him in the RS3 though. Actually no, no, you probably would. If it's if it's just as much traffic, you probably would. Speaking of I'm the a RS3. Good driver. Yes. I think Okay, first and foremost, all respect to Audi for that car. Cuz oh, yeah. wow. I, I, I crapped on it a couple years ago because I thought the price was a little bit astronomical for its size. But now that I've seen its potential, I, I take it all back. I, I kind of want one. But here's what astonished me the most about Nadeem's RS3. Because we had the opportunity to run it back-to-back with the CLS. And both are stock right now, right? They're bone stock. Mm-hmm. Even. They were even on the highway. And this is a car that makes significantly less torque than mine and for it to keep up just because of his lightweightedness and how it's like geared and everything i dude that thing is a that's an engineering marvel a modern engineering marvel from audi that five cylinder is precious i agree i I, i'm not i'm not an audi person i'm not a german person but yeah i mean it's it's an amazing car that's the pinnacle of tuning uh that's the pinnacle of tuning in in 2020, 2021. I mean, have you seen it what they've been doing with those though. things? I mean, oh yeah, no. I, after well, all, cars have their faults, sure, but like you know, manual seats. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, but yeah, no, yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, after you could like you could rip on Porsche <laughs> for having <laughs> their 911R. <laughs> It's all manual. There's no padding or okay, anything. Okay, but to There's be no fair, like, that's a race car. Dude. With the RS3, it's like, here's manual seats for weight saving, but also, here's, like, the entire mechanical mechanisms for a sunroof. <laughs> hmm? Just, like, what's was there a trade-off? I would much rather have automatic seats than a sun... Than a like, what? sunroof. <laughs> no, I agree. Just get rid of the sunroof, and yeah, then, then it's... A, that's then, yeah, Audi, man. Worst right, we're engineered at the, uh, cars ever. Are you serious? I'm from a mechanical I'm, standpoint, I'm from this. a mechanical standpoint, they're just—I don't know what those fucking Germans are smoking to make them think to bury every part of the car under the engine. But man, are you? Uh, is this is this specifically like for like older Audis coming up to like 2012, or have you noticed like newer Audis doing this too? Newer Audis are like that. They'll bury them. They'll bury everything. Dude, everyone's burying it. I don't know what this obsession is with confining the engine bay space. Yeah, it's just like it's hard to reach. It's going to increase labor hours. You know, I'm sure the dealer's going to be giving up crazy warranties for that type of thing. But, man, it's turning into a bitch to work on. You know, and it was a thing. Like, it was pretty common, like, to where some of, like, the older, you know, European cars were a little bit more difficult. Mercedes-Benz was a little bit better about this, I feel like. Where you could still access everything, other than the fucking battery that they decided to put under the back seat. But that's a that's a conversation. Wait, for another day. Back seat? What? Yeah, Dude, it's models. underneath the back seat. We have an <laughs> E320 2001. Just to get to the battery. Wait, how do you, you access to, it then? How do you, you access take the back seat? You go to the you go to the back you take seat. The back seat you off? back seat off, and you access the battery. Yup, yup, 100 percent. And yeah. why? I mean, this isn't that uncommon. My Cadillac had like two of the fuse boxes underneath the back seat i had to remove it to access okay but a fuse, fuse box, box a fuse a box is different a battery is di- if you're stranded on the road you're not looking for that yeah. fuse box you're looking for that fucking that's battery true that's true the back seat i mean my okay it, my amg has two batteries it has the uh i think it has the auxiliary battery in the yes. front and i think it has a main yes. battery in the trunk but trunk batteries are fine it's, it's just why under, under the, the seat is in the is in the engine bay which is accessible you know, and sometimes we've changed a few auxiliary batteries, but they haven't been like, at least in my experience, I haven't seen them be like the reasons people have like not been. Yeah, no, no you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And as far as fuse boxes go, dude, people put fuse boxes in all types of weird fucking places. Like they'll put them, they'll put them next to the, on the left side of the steering wheel where the OBD is. They'll put a fuse box over there. They'll put it under the hood. They'll put mm-hmm. it under the truck. Sometimes they're in like, you know, yeah, like what you said. With the Cadillac under the seat, but let me see how many fuse boxes I have. Um, because you guys are gonna, you guys are gonna lose it with this. But uh, let's hear the typing porn. What keyword you got? 
I've got three main fuse boxes and two pre-fuse boxes. So I have one in the trunk, I have one under the Jesus. passenger footwell, the driver's side, by the steering wheel, and I have one, uh, I think, in the back seat, and I have one in the engine bay. How many body computers does your car have? It doesn't actually have that many freaking body computers. I think this is a lot of it was to regulate the air suspension that I ripped out because a lot of it was like weight sensors and stuff to like lift the uh, suspension based off of how many passengers or if you're going over a hill or something like I don't care so I mean I ripped all those components out so I mean uh, kind of the computers are obsolete at this point <laughs> but yeah finding stuff means flipping through like a 10 page fuse box diagram mm-hmm. I'm sure that's fun oh yeah it's 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 uh how do they how do they separate them like how do they separate them like what what components are on which fuse box I think uh, a lot of the stuff that's like internal electrical was like in the prefuse boxes in the trunk or under the seat. And a lot of the mechanical stuff was under the hood or under the footwell. Um, okay, so it's like pretty pretty relative. It's yeah, it's, it's very it's very relative. Um, it's okay. I think with my age, AMG like with that M113 K platform, I'm in that era where things are analog enough that you could DIY that kind of car if you knew what you were right. doing. Um. There was a lot of talk back in like 2010 to 2013 of people buying used E55s or something and you'd hear a guy say, oh, I wouldn't touch that with a stick without a warranty or something like that. And then time went on and the engine just kind of proved itself to like be reliable and they've kind of taken that kind of sentiment back. I mean, the Europeans have bulletproof engines. The Europeans have bulletproof fucking engines, dude. That's the one thing you can't even say about American cars. Like a lot of the Fords... That oh, have yeah. like intake problems and head whatnot, gaskets dude, those and fucking stuff. head gaskets yeah. are gone. Well, the intake problems too. Like a lot of the Fords have issues with intakes, and those cars are struggling. A lot of new Toyota motors are like that too, and like Sequoias and whatnot. Like twenty, God, what year was that Sequoia? I think twenty fourteen, twenty thirteen. We had to replace like the air pumps in it, and they were like inside the engine, and that was a bitch to get to. Yeah, it's a bit complicated, huh? <laughs> Oh, I, I want to like divert the conversation, but someone just spied the new Nissan Z, the blue interior. You want to see this? It looks really good. Yeah, let's let's take a look. Let's take a look. I'll drop it in the Discord real quick. Usually, whenever a monster something looks really good, it doesn't. But okay, like I'm not a fan we'll of the blue interior. This. No doubt, but like if you look at the seats, it seems like there's leather seats, and in the middle part is Alcantara. Is it like a light blue or like a dark blue? Dark blue, I can fuck okay, with. It's not a good color. I'm not saying it's a good color, but... Oh, boy. You said blue. Wrong channel. No, it's not blue. How many blues It's, there it's like are baby blue. blue. It's not a good color. But oh, it's baby it's blue? That's horrible. Yeah, look, look, okay. That's ignore ass, the color. dude. Ignore the color. My point is, it's interesting that they're going to fit like this kind of stuff in a car at this price range. Like, It seems like they have boost gauges, so I'm assuming it's turbocharged. Uh, leather seats with Alcantara in the middle fire that, that looks disgusting it looks disgusting but like if you were to like here i'll change the hue and saturation of photoshop but if you were to change the color of the blue it should have made it red bad. i agree but it wouldn't look bad would it i don't know man there's, there's well, that's very, why that's why i asked very few well, cars that's why i asked like what shade of blue because that makes a difference yes there's very few cars Again, that pull off blue navy, in my like ignoring navy the interior, interior ignoring the color of the interior that's a good interior uh, at that price range uh actually i don't know Mazda's has done some pretty good stuff with their mx like this this, look, this looks pretty standard nissan does it though yeah, yeah i mean nissan, if you've been on the new altimas and maximas just stupid touchscreen in the middle like it i mean look, look dude, that's something that ticks me off this is a z right yeah, this is the new Where's thing. the gear shifter? I don't, this is probably the automatic, though. Okay, okay you're going to give me an auto pa- automatic with that that stupid control pad thing, and you're still going to give me an e-brake. So. Oh, my God. Just why? Do why why do all that? Like, I want to I wanna grip a gear shifter from a car like this. It's supposed okay. to be raw. Well, uh, what are your thoughts on the C6, C3's gear shifter, then? I'm not very happy with it. Okay, so... I wanted like to modern, look, even with modern Mercedes AMG cars with little touchpads and stuff, even with like the Lexus GSF and RCF, I've never been a proponent of that. Like, if you've looked at Porsche's new 911, like the gear shifter is smaller and it's way more technological than the previous generations, but it's still a gear shifter. 
Like they get that. <laughs> just this. Just, I I don't. I can't. Like my parents, they, their Durango has like a knob. <laughs> More than well, dude, yeah, mom. you know there are, there are Rams they're making nowadays that have a little dial to move. Yeah, that's it what I'm getting at. The dial. Or or dial is More often than not, they have confused that for volume. The dial is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. Actually, no. What it's Honda so... does is pretty stupid too. Like where it's like the button, like you press like drive park. I, I get it's mechanical, so you don't have to do that. The Odyssey, right? The Odyssey, the new Odyssey. I think it's the Odyssey. Or, you oh, press drive, you press park, you press neutral. Like, I had yeah. to, so I had to drop one of those off at a. Actually, no, I was dropping off a customer's car, and we decided we needed to drive one because we were working on it. And I get in it, and automatically, like you know where your hand goes when you get into a car as to where that fucking gear shifter is. And then I'm like, look, and I'm feeling around. I was like, what the fuck is this? And then, like, I look on, like, the side next to the driver's side. There's buttons. And I was like, what kind of <laughs> bullshit is this? <laughs> fucking buttons on a car? So then you have to, like, Yo, hit a button. Weird. We probably Mercedes like is man. weird with it. Mercedes is weird with it, too, where, like, they'll have the knob on the side to where you shift it. So it's a gear shifter. And it's, like, but it's, okay, like, shaped just... weird? Yes. No. I, it's, like, the it, park is a button. Yeah. Park yeah. is a yeah. button, but drive is something else. And I'm like, th- and like the place they put it, it's like, dude, I'm not driving a fucking truck. This is a sedan. Why is this over here? <laughs> I don't understand. Look, as much as I love Tesla, their gear shifter is the worst ever. What dude. is it? What There's is it? Nothing what is worse. It? It's like a window wipe, window wiper stock. Oh, oh my god! It's a window wiper stock. It's the Are you worst. Serious? I'm not joking. Wait, I oh so is it like ninety percent? Is it like sure a window right. wiper and like a Chevy where you like manipulate it like 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 drive is like the farthest option? Does, does, then does you like, like the paddle shift? it back. If you can even consider it. there was like one that had like shifter buttons on the stock. I don't remember. Was it the Dodge Caravan? It is like plus or minus yeah, is it's, on it is the stock. stock. Oh my god! I'm not stupid. Okay, good. Yeah, it's a stock. I didn't embarrass myself. It's a stock. It's pretty embarrassing. And I love Tesla. So it's it sucks that this is like what Tesla does. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you love Tesla. Why do you love Tesla? I don't love Tesla. I just respect Or do you just love EVs? I, I look as as a tech person, you know, I I, I love Oh Jesus. The, like I, I just love the bleeding edge of tech. And I'm and just a fucking grease monkey, right? Imad, is that what you're trying to say? You're a tech person, so in no, a way the EV look, is refined? No, no, no. I think you admire tech in a way differently than I admire tech. That's what I'm okay. trying to say. You okay. admire it as a mechanic, as, as someone who works at a shop. You admire it in a way that makes sense to you, in a way that makes sense in your daily life, which would probably be around like working on it and like how, how easy... Like, in many people's Because when we were talking about this life. earlier, you kept in many people's up, daily like, life. Like huh? In many people's daily life. I, I I'm not saying I'm not saying that's not a thing in many, in many people's lives. I'm all I'm saying is in my life when I view tech, I view it as just a step. And I, I think know you like you, you enjoy it for its that. novelty. I, I guess. Look, I I have like 13 keyboards that I've built. And like I, I just I like the idea of having what something What a fucking new. nerd. I like having something new. Nerd. And that's that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know why. And Tesla's awesome because they do that. I hate Elon Musk, but Tesla's awesome. Why do you hate Elon a Musk? Dude, he's a piece of shit, man. He's, he's a, not a he's piece a, of he's shit. He's an absolute piece of shit. Huh? How so? <laughs> okay, oh my God. so when those kids I like were Elon in Musk. tunnel in Thailand, there was that white oh, guy I think who I heard about this. Out, and he's like, ooh, a white guy in Thailand trying to help out kids. I wonder what's up with that. Like, what the hell, dude? Like, it's just a guy wanting to help kids. He got mad because the guy said that. that his submarines to help the kids weren't going to work well enough. So oh he called God. the kid, he called the guy a pedophile. Or insinuated it, sorry. Like, what a shitty thing to do. Or launching a coup in a country just to have better cobalt mines for your cars. Like, what the hell, man? That's electric vehicles for you. No, it's Elon Musk for you. You're, Let's make this you're driving, abundantly You're driving... Clear. You're driving something that was stolen from indigenous peoples that was robbed that. them of their natural resources. But your phone uses cobalt too, so like, I mean, it's not like you're any better, like... We're talking about fucking electric vehicles, Imad. They come from the Focus. same cobalt mines. Focus. I mean, they use them for Focus the same on reasons, the for lipo batteries. Focus on the EV. Focus on the EV. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. But, like, speaking of, like, what are some things as a mechanic that, like affects you in your day-to-day life like especially now like stuff that gets out there the thing is is that like as far as affecting my daily life 
like i i approach cars the way of a consumer and like the thing is is it all goes back to something that my dad told me when i first started doing this he said look at the end of the day you just sell metal that's all you do you're a metal dealer like and that's kind of how i viewed it and for me like the big thing is that like when i talk about when things are buried or when things are difficult to access i'm not thinking of it even as much as like a physical like laborious thing because i'm not the mechanic i'm not doing it the issue becomes the cost the cost to the consumer because at the end of the day a lot of people like i have a friend and i was helping her find a car okay and she was going through the different like um carfax reports and whatnot and she said something to me that i will never soon forget she said what is an oil change okay i want to i'm just gonna let that sink in like this is the average consumer we had one lady that got upset with me on the phone because i changed her chevy cruise with regular oil and not synthetic even though i looked it up and it takes fucking regular and i told her that and she was like well the dealer says synthetic and i'm like you need to stop take it to the dealer to the dealer and like that's the thing like i approach it from how do i convey this information to my customer because to them they don't understand they don't understand what it takes so for me like an ergonomic design is principal to a vehicle that is you know applicable to people's daily lives you know as far as like the ev goes like at the end of the day people have to drive it people have to i think will have to do repairs to it and it goes back to what asam was saying before about it is still in its early adapter stage like we really don't know the true durability of an electro- electric vehicle but we have seen kind of the issues with them as far as like recalls and fires and things like that and now is it to be expected of an early adapter yes i wouldn't expect it to be perfect if it were perfect then okay it's perfect and i can understand it but the issues from like a consumer standpoint the arguments for it this fetishization of an america that drives an ev happening in 15 20 years is really what turns me off from the electric vehicle i feel i I think 20 years is like a pretty efficient like time frame i don't think so unless something radically happens to and the average american's paycheck I don't think so, because we're at a time, we're living in a time where people are still driving 25-year-old cars and still buying 25-year-old cars. You know, back like 10, 15 years ago, people were driving cars that were 5, 6, 7, 8 years old, and then, you know, that was kind of the norm. Now, I just see Dude, so we're getting to a point where people, like, can't afford cars that dealerships last year were offering... 0% 84-month terms. I'm like, who the hell is I mean, willing think to finance about a that. car for like, seven years? Fuck. I think the issue is much bigger than the cars itself. I think well, yeah, it gets into a massive geopolitical, not even just like national, but international issue of, of how we just aren't doing enough for the average day. Right? Like, and guy. see, that's, that's where my argument before the podcast started came from. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with EVs settling in i just think the timeline to push an early adopter technology this fast is a little bit inefficient especially when we have companies who are looking into synthetic fuel alternatives and biofuel alternatives or compressed natural gas to keep effectively to keep the current technology running at a rate that is just as clean for the for the planet as an electric vehicle could provide granted it's not going to be as efficient in the future but for the time being it is a much better step than just forcing evs down everyone's throat especially when most of the population can't afford it as far as cars go as far as emissions i mean if you want to make it something about the environment i believe that if people maintain their cars regularly got all the work they needed to do done 
that the emissions would be far less because you have to take into account the fact that because cars have less fuel economy, and this is actually getting into the newsletter I'm going to be putting out this week about you know decarbonizing your engine to increase your fuel economy because at the end of the day, a lot of these engines that are just gunked up, trashed out, you know, that takes a wear on the vehicle, and now you're just having this this door of, like, cars being produced to meet demand and cars not going as far as they could if they were just maintained well, you know? And the fact that they give off mm-hmm. so many emissions because they're not maintained well. This is a fact, like, it's real that, you know, cars that are not maintained well emit more than cars that are. Like it just it is. It's not cars even just maintenance. I feel like efficiency is a huge oil. thing on the manufacturer's side too. I've been Again, I've been saying this forever. Like when they started making downsized performance variants of engines and then also adapting that into more economical cars, like basically smaller displacement plus turbocharger. Of course. It's like that's not solving the issue. If anything that's gonna drive people to pick up more cars because these things become so inefficient. You have cars that are making effectively the same horsepower as their V8 or V6 counterparts, but they have to work harder to carry the same amount of curb weight and passengers. It's like, okay, well, that's going to result in more wear and tear. And if wear and tear happens on faster, that means warranties and everything that are being offered are going to become lesser. People aren't going to want to have to incur, manufacturers aren't going to want to have to incur the cost of maintaining these cars at higher mileages. and, And because of that, that passes down to the consumer who's eventually going to come in after three or four or five years when they notice that their warranty is over which is exactly what's happening this is not just happening in the luxury market anymore i feel like it's happening in the entire market and they come and trade in that car and they pick up another one which has an even smaller engine (laughs) it's even worse because it's riddled with technology that people don't understand it's fantastic putting computers and such in cars but people don't want to accept the reality that these computers are also rattling around they're going through elements of nature they're seeing the data they don't understand that and that's why like i get on they treat it like an appliance it's like no this is that's the thing about like mercedes-benz and bmw it's like they put computers in a car for fuck all you know and it's almost as if you know the thing isn't even meant to be driven it's as if it's just supposed to sit in your fucking parking whatever it's either it's either a jewelry piece or it's something that's gonna rob you and I don't feel like that's how it should be. And this is my entire thing with electric vehicles. Because I feel like electric vehicles could be a potentially very good answer for the planet. And every everything that its proponents say, I, I don't I have a hard time disagreeing with a lot of it. I the main thing I disagree with, however, is affordability and time frame. Why is it being forced down on us so fast when we already have a technology that is over a hundred years old that has the ability to be exactly improved or transformed and very cleaned and very it can can be clean and why aren't we focusing on that technology so that we at least give ourselves a buffer before we move into the electric vehicle era which inevitably will happen but make sure it happens where it doesn't widen income inequality or displace multiple people from being able to reach new locations or uh, get to where they're supposed to go based off of infrastructure that's going to change around electric vehicle adoption because they weren't able to afford an electric vehicle or make it extremely expensive to just own an ICE instead of coming up with an alternative fuel fuel source to keep your ICE and keep it somewhat affordable while you're saving up or working towards getting an EV. I don't know why we don't hear more about e-fuels. Like, why don't we talk about that? Like why I don't do NASCAR, Porsche, Bosch. I mean, these guys have made I don't know. such I mean, advancements. The head of Porsche, I think, said something that was absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> Wait, why would Porsche say that, though? They made, like, they're the ones the out po- there. The Porsche like, can, because, but see what happens with Porsche is they're espousing literally exactly what i just said they made the take on which i mean in many ways it, it, it has its faults and it, but it competes directly with the tesla for a much higher price but they also didn't change the other components of their lineup they offer plug-in hybrids that are extremely high performance if you want 
They also offer normal IC vehicles, and they've kept their motorsport line going. In fact, their motorsport line is probably one of their strongest motivations for looking into e-fuels and synthetic fuels in the first place because they don't want to lose that. EVs just don't match up in the world of motorsports. They don't. There's a totally different engineering design to EVs that ICEs don't have to contend with, and it changes the center of gravity, changes the way these cars handle, and Porsche has more motivation than I assume a lot of car companies to keep their tradition of motorsport going. So they would naturally be looking into e-fuels. Why that's not talked about more is beyond me because that could save so many consumers from having to make a financial blunder in picking up an EV where, like I said earlier, there's no trialability, there's no observability yet. Like, I don't know which one to get. You could, it, it's not like there's that much competition either. Like, it's either I get, like, the crappiest one with Chevy or Nissan, or I'm, like, forking out what uh, someone who's maybe earning a hundred to $200,000 a year picking up a Tesla, or I'm in the upper echelon of the range, and I'm looking at Porsches. It's, like, is that really what I'm looking at right now? Or maybe a Volvo Polestar, which is also ridiculously expensive. Oh, my God. But look, like, I, the issue with e-fuels is, like, we're not there yet to be able to afford that either. Like, we can't pretend that, like, electric cars I'm are expensive. I'm sure it will be expensive. I think e-fuels be very expensive. They're more and expensive. I think they'll lord it over ICE owners if EVs take off too fast, and it'll make it harder even more so and because now you can't afford to keep your IC and you can't afford an EV um, because you want to try to go get synthetic fuels they'll probably kind of like reserve it for the ultra rich who have sports cars like you know you and I look at or people who are involved in motorsports and obviously so that's a whole they can afford discussion, it then, it, that, but it's like wrong right like I'm trying to e- I'm trying to propose a situation where e-fuels can maintain the balance of what we currently have what we work towards improving an entire infrastructure but that's likely n- not what's going to happen. Even though e-fuels, especially as Porsche is looking into it, is just hydrogen and carbon dioxide, which we have plentiful amounts of. <laughs> it's just... Uh, I feel like if we spent as much money as we did into EV innovation, research, and development as we did into making the hi- e-fuel process efficient, then maybe it could be cheap. And maybe by the time we got around to EVs being affordable, people would be... Or at least you know, have options. At least yeah, have exactly. options. Exactly. I mean, it's it not would let the rest the of the other. manufacturers also catch up. I mean, it's, it, it's kind of a doggy dog world right now with how governments are stepping in trying to. And I mean, I did a, my whole senior thesis in University of Texas was how how much does government intervention actually affect the product model adaptation of electric vehicles? Oh my the world. god! And radically? Are you kidding me? It, yeah, government it, government intervention was actually the number one proponent. I mean, like because if you look at the United States, the United States and Australia have probably been the laggards in, in stu- instilling such things uh, or such policies, and were also the laggards in EV adoption, adaptation, sorry, or adaptation, whatever the word is. But um, the countries like France, Paris, I mean, uh, France, Germany, England, <laughs> um, Sweden, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Denmark. China... <coughs> The guys who actually have policies in place about this, I mean, sheesh. <laughs> I'm not saying like they don't even they don't have as many drivers per capita as we do, but they do have a policy and their adoption rate is exponentially higher than ours. So what I'm trying to get at is if government can also subsidize or prioritize a way to keep these older cars on the road but keep them clean so that the rest of the economy can catch up and the rest of the manufacturers can catch up and give people uh, but like clean, you see the absurdity in that, right? Like, if, if countries have already adapted to taking care of EVs and company, sorry, countries have now adapted to taking care of EVs and using EVs responsibly and, you know, it, we have good adoption rates in, like, countries, like, again, like you mentioned, like, Sweden, Norway, Denmark. If we have good adoption there and companies... In those but the problem is, like I said, I mentioned, area. is like there's not as many drivers per capita in those countries as there are in the United States. I, I, the I get people that. who me, actually do quick. have the cars are probably much more affluent. But let me make this point real quick: that if they're ready for adoption, other countries are ready for adoption. 
majority of in, in my mind majority of westernized countries are already ready for adoption because majority of them are european countries that have good socio socioeconomic policies to deal with early ev adoption why should companies have to deal with making evs and and ice cars at the same time it seems unreasonable. It's going to have such high manufacturing costs to make both EVs and ICE cars yeah, but just because uh, America and Australia are lagging behind. I don't that think it's just a, it's me. not just America and Australia, though. I think it's also a I mean, lot of, of course, Europe. You're looking at the middle class consumer, or the lower class consumer in Europe. They're not the ones driving EVs. And it's just because there's so much fewer le- of them and that Europe is a much more of an urban terrain than the United States or Australia are that you might not even necessarily that, need that, a car. A but... Yeah. It, you you're also looking at factors like, um, sorry, I'm having a brain fart. <laughs> you're 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 looking at factors with EVs like why hasn't adoption taken off in the United States or it has in other Western countries? I'm trying to also say that the technology to keep ICE cars like clean is possible. If we don't pursue that while we're trying to bring the cost or at least make it more competitive in the world of EVs, I feel like we're doing a disservice to the middle class and lower class around the world who has to suddenly go and pick up an EV if they really do actually need a vehicle by making it a law that says you have to do it in such X time frame or Y time frame. You see the absurdity with that, right? Like you're saying that, oh, well, if even if e-fuels aren't affordable right now, even if, you know, whatever methods we have of maintaining uh, ICE engines right now aren't affordable at the moment for... uh, adoption like okay so the big issue is companies cannot be producing both evs and ice cars at the same time they can oh. but it's going to increase that's what i was trying to get to that's where my brain farm was my, my yeah you're so, right and that's what i was getting at i think audi's uh executive said this too it, it, it's costing them more to retool though to go to evs and for almost very little beneficial both. sure but it also so doesn't hurt their over? bottom line, especially, and Shaf can attest to this, on the service side, if you're able to keep both on the road for a longer amount of time and have them both be just as clean. It doesn't. That. And but that's what I'm trying to say is while e-fuels are extremely expensive right now and they will very likely be expensive, what I'm saying is I don't think there's a benefit in not focusing on bringing those processes to more cost-effective and more efficient ranges where... E-fuels could be, I'm not saying that automakers have to focus on both, but I'm definitely saying that infrastructure should prioritize e-fuels because right now it's asking too much of many crippling infrastructures around the globe to make such a radical switch. But again, I don't get it. Like your complaint is that EVs are going to cost a lot, but it's also going to cost a lot to have e-fuels. Like it's, you can't. You can't say that if we do production right now or R&D right now, it's going to get cheaper in the future because that was your issue with me talking about how EVs might get cheaper in the future. Like, you you don't know if you can or not. No, I definitely think think EVs are going to get cheaper. As more and more competition gets in the market, it's going to become cheaper. What I'm trying to say is you can't have governments forcing that process to pick up faster because that's exactly the kind of thing that makes it expensive. It doesn't matter how much... Governments, though. Majority of it are companies. I, I highly disagree. If, if you've looked at France, how they're incentivizing it, they penalize you with a very excessive tax if you buy an ICE and they give you a subsidy if you buy an electric vehicle. But granted, even if you take the subsidy to pick up your electric vehicle, the electric vehicle still costed more than the ICE offering. I get that, but at the moment, many companies have announced future plans of switching over entirely to EVs. Yeah, right. If companies are switching over to EVs, whether or not, com- whether or not countries are giving... A specific timeline it doesn't matter because but I'm, I'm, what i'm getting at is where did these announcements come from companies would not change their processes let's just be honest this is the shareholders principle they would not change jack shit if it was already making the money if there wasn't pressure from an entity such as a government that actually had the authority to step in and say hey regulation is coming or or something is coming that you have to change your practice like it there's no reason for these guys it's not like they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart i mean if you we can all go back to that study about how exxon actually found out about you know environmental damage and pollution way back when and they were the ones that found that research and then they were the ones who spent a multi-million dollar campaign on covering up that research they're not going to change 
without some intervention. And what I'm trying to nail at is, okay, fine, give them the chance to change, and sure, we can all go EV, but if you're going to spend the money on completely retooling everything and changing the infrastructure to adopt the EV, you should, for the short term, also spend money on making biofuels and e-fuels more affordable so that more people can keep their ICE cars and they can keep them clean for the environment while they work towards getting into an EV infrastructure rather than forcing co- like taxpayers and governments to foot the bill and subsidize all these charging stations and all sorts of new grid projects to maintain electric vehicles. That's the problem I'm getting at. That's where I feel like I, I don't really see an take issue. up with you. Sorry, what were you saying? Go ahead. No, I was going to say that's where I really take up with you is like the idea of infrastructure and trying to implement what exactly entails an electric vehicle. I feel like this discussion can only go forward if we get into the politics of it, which I don't think is necessary right now. I, I think the only way we can actually continue this conversation Yo, let me pull out my thesis paper real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I feel like the only solution to this is a political solution. And you guys know where I stand. I know where you guys stand. Like, it's, it's, we're going to have a huge discussion about politics in a way that. Not really. I don't know. I think it's just like looking at the numbers on the paper and how much the average American is willing to spend. We're looking at automotive data as well as, you know, labor rates. You know, how long people have these cars? What are they willing to spend? What are they buying right now? What is the American consumer buying? Because when it comes to cars, and I did a paper, I did some research on this in college too, is that the younger generation and the newer generation is not looking at vehicles as people did 30, 40 years ago as kind of like this thing to have and this, you know, way to entry. They look at it as an expense. They look at it as an expense. And as far as like the politics goes, the best thing to do is just look at the fact that for a lot of people it just isn't affordable and to implement such a thing is just I, I think it unreasonable. is possible, but there's political reasons why I believe it's possible. Well, I think that just involves giving a lot of money and raising taxes. I don't think it involves raising taxes. I think it involves giving money, tax, having better forms of taxation. So increasing taxes. <laughs> no, 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 not necessarily. I mean, there's a huge, I mean, like, look, I'm not allowed to talk about this, but, you know, my CEO recently got arrested for dodging over $1 billion of taxes. Like, I, I think there are much more important things to talk about when it comes to taxes than just raising it for the average person. We can look at value out of taxes and stuff. like. I, again, this is going to get super political. So I'm going to I'm going to talk about this. But... <laughs> Same. Yeah, I think EV adoption is possible in the next 20 years. Well, I think with bi- I mean, if e-fuels, right like we talk about e-fuels being expensive, being expensive, but their implementation, I feel like, entails much less. Like, okay, let's say then e-fuel requires certain, me- you know, mechanisms that are on the car. You know, so did emissions, so did having a catalytic converter and an O2 sensor and those things. I mean, things. actually, Shelf, to, you to, have to that argument, fuel e-fuel doesn't require any modification to the current vehicle. No, I've so heard then, it does. No, 100%. That, that is not true. I've heard it does. I've heard the one portion Bosch are trying to come up with requires no tuning, no modification. You put it into we the are, gas yeah, tank. We don't even have the technology like, feasibly yet. So, like, they're pretty dang close, dude. Actually, let me look up how close. <laughs> I, I want to make sure I'm saying the right thing. So then where is most of this issue of expense? Like, Would it be expensive like at the pump to have e-fuels as compared to buying a whole electric vehicle and charging it? And oh, the they're partnered and with Exxon and Siemens. Yeah, they've got some backing behind this, so I guess someone heard me before we released well, the podcast. Well, Okay, so my question, <laughs> my question is that is most of the expense just going to come from people having to pay more at the pump? That's that's kind of what I would think. Like, what's where's the happen. expense coming from? Because we ta- we've been talking about, and I've been hearing you guys talking about the how expensive e-fuels are and comparing that expensiveness to an EV, but... Like, where is the expensiveness of an e-fuel? Is it the research? Is it the development? Is it It's mostly like the processing it? of it, like, in the vehicle. 
It's the process you're going to look at. Porsche's e-fuels are made out of carbon dioxide and hydrogen and are produced using renewable energy. The final result is a liquid that an engine will burn the same as if it was gasoline made from crude oil, but an e-fuel can be produced in a climate-neutral manner, at least in theory. This is on Car and Driver. Um, I'm reading the same one as you then. Yeah. Synthetic <laughs> fuel is cleaner and there's no byproduct, and when we start full production, we expect a CO2 reduction of 85%. Does I it, mean, like, tackle the issue of it being completely carbon neutral? It it says it is. It says 85%. That's no, still a lot. That's it, that's not entirely carbon neutral, though. It doesn't matter. That's still quite a bit I mean, more, I don't want to get into the chaos like theory, but, like, 85%, like, that's still a lot in the, in, in the grand scheme of things. Okay, no, it, reduction of 85%, so 15% output. And sure, you might say, as oh, that's a lot. Can, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, as opposed to keeping us on the ICE path forever and not having EVs, 15% is good as we move towards EVs. That's probably what I'm trying to get at. If you can afford the EV, and this does become an affordable technology because it looks like it has the backing of Porsche, Siemens, Bosch, McLaren, um, Audi. I mean, if they can make it affordable, then... I think they can make it affordable. I think if they can keep their business model and the way they've been doing business... Because at the end of the day, e-fuel is, is competing with the EV. And from a business standpoint, if you want to adapt it, they'll find a way to make it cheaper. They will yeah, find I, a I way to make it I think the other thing that we're, we're overlooking is, does the 85% reduction make the e-fuel or the synthetic fuel, whatever you want to call it, compete directly with the production carbon output of the lithium batteries that go in the electric vehicles? Well, isn't that the heart of the argument for the electric vehicle and for governments wanting to implement it, other than purely political reasons? It's the idea of carbon neutrality and the environment and all this stuff. I think this puts e-fuels on the path to competition with the electric vehicle. That, that's what I think. I, I, I mean, like, going back to it, I think EVs technology in terms of motorsport and everything eventually will far outpace what ICE cars can do, but we're not there yet. And Are we even uh, close? Like, is that is that a question I mean, to we're, be asked? We're, we're, we're kind of getting there. I mean, Tesla did come up with that plaid, plaid platform, whatever the hell it was, and the Taken did. But again, this is motorsports. Like, we're, I'm yeah, talking it's about not for a, the average uh, consumer when it comes the to the average consumer. Is supposed to have around 400 miles per. If they could use synthetic gallon? fuel in, in, like, okay, I don't know. It, let me just paint a picture for you, okay? Like, you have Bob. That's not PG, sorry. Uh, total range yeah sorry go on bob bob works at mcdonald's bob that that's it like he works at mcdonald's and he has a corolla and he's been told by 2035 that he has to pick up an electric vehicle and um wait if you've noticed no one's doing that no government's doing that they're telling no no some 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 governments are actually saying california is literally going to ban the sale of gasoline cars it's not just the the sale sale that i'm I'm not worried about banning of the sale i'm saying some countries are actually working towards getting gasoline powered cars off the road within which country i've never heard of this anywhere let's look up let's look up by 2030 that's that's an absurd statement i think they might be referring to new cars i don't think they're talking about like your Camry from like 2016 isn't gonna get like banned from driving. That's that's an absurd statement. That's an authoritative thing. Like that's uh, that's absurd. You have the right I, to I don't think that, I don't think it's gonna be the United States. Okay. I, I don't think it's any country. If I'm being honest, that is such an absurd thing. Like I don't know why a country would do that. That would destroy their economy. Like then then, essentially, you just have like twenty thousand dollars of metal just sitting there that equivalent in the government's eyes to like drugs like what like th- that's a destruction of the entire economy like all those cars over the past like 100 years 200 years j- 150 years are just destroyed like there's no point to that like I, that it would be absurd to ban an ice car from existing or driving no i think you might be right it's such an absurd statement i don't think that's true i think i think it might have been like a headline like misrepresenting a fact i don't think it's feasible or like it's logical to ban ice cars from existing or driving on the road that's absurd okay so it says here i'm on courts copenhagen mayor frank jensen wants the city to end all new diesel cars starting next year this was in 2018 
Last December, Paris, Madrid, Athens, and Mexico City said they would remove diesel cars and vans by 2025. Norway will phase out conventional cars by 2025, followed by France, the United Kingdom, in 2040 and 2050, respectively. Yet, despite all these commitments, no country has actually passed a law prohibiting anything as of yet. So, maybe, well, maybe again, they've just that, that's spoken. That's the production. That's production. Yeah. They're talking about production. No, no, so I, when I remember when I was doing my research, there are some countries... And I don't think they have passed it in effect as a law, but there are some countries that straight up want to phase out ICE. Cars. It might have been a proposal. But I think it, it would might never have get passed. There. It, it would never get passed. That is so absurd. It's that's like saying if your house right? doesn't have solar panels, we're just you gotta, you gotta like, demolish that's absurd. it. Yeah. <laughs> that's absurd. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, like. Mm. It's it's gonna be an oh. interesting road for sure, but anyway, I, I think we're we're like at the hour five minute mark. Are we gonna Half cut any of this out? EVs, huh? Are we gonna cut any of this out, or is it gonna be this long? Oh, shit, dude, screw it. Let's just run it all. All right. Well, I think we should end it there. Um. So, mm-hmm. check in with us whenever we make episode two, which is whenever we make it, and we will do be you guys start doing this on the weekends. Yeah, we should probably huh? do this every week, on the weekends. So I want to do this. I, I want to do this in person. Just bring a laptop, bring your microphone, bring your focus right, set around a table. We can all do this in person. It would be a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would be better. To do and then we can person. film it too. Oh, yeah. I agree. I agree. Maybe like JRE. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, okay, so thank yeah. you guys so much for tuning in to our podcast, our very first one here on Ninjas and Idiots. And we will yep. see you hopefully next week. Next, what day? Give him a day. Next Saturday. Day? Next, next when Saturday. We, when should we post this one? Saturday. Shoot, I don't All know. Right. <laughs> we'll we'll have a let's have Saturday as our. Well, no, no, no. Hold on. If we're if we're if we're going to be doing the podcast on Saturday, we can't upload it on a Saturday. We'd have to upload, we'll upload it, it on like, a Sunday or Monday. I mean, Amad, is that feasible? Is that feasible? What's what's feasible if we record on like a Saturday? Look, I did this today. I've automated most of it. I'll edit this today. See how it comes out. I think Monday upload would be better. I think Sunday I might have a render out, uh, but Monday would be a better upload schedule. Fantastic. Okay. Yes. All right, gentlemen. Good. We will see you next time. And for our listeners, thank you. And, and until next time.